0: Someone might ask you, what does the Bible say about Christmas? And your answer would be, nothing, right? It doesn't say anything about Christmas. No, really, it actually says nothing at all about Christmas. The Bible says nothing about Christmas. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that answer, especially at this time of year because we see it everywhere, Right? We see Christmas signs and Christmas sales and Christmas decorations, and Christmas is everywhere at this time of year. And so people would be particularly surprised for us to say, We don't believe the Bible talks about Christmas. We don't believe you can read about Christmas in the Bible. And so we want to talk about this tonight. And we want to think about Christmas asking this question How should we view Christmas? That's what we want to study tonight. I uh, I was actually asked by one of our members to, pre- to bring a lesson along this line with some co- concern being voiced that we're not hearing enough about this and that there are some very questionable practices even entering in among churches of Christ. I, I dug up an old flyer that I would had for a while. This comes from a, uh, what, what I would label as a very liberal church of Christ in Nashville, uh, and it says, come celebrate the meaning of Christmas with us this holiday season. For unto us this day a child is born. Here's, here's a Church of Christ in Nashville. And it's actually engaging in a religious observance of Christmas. And so I think perhaps the suggestion that we ought to be reminding one another about this on, on a somewhat regular basis uh, is appropriate and that's what we want to do tonight. We want to talk about Christmas and how should we view it based on what the Bible says about it, right? Because that's the way we want to view everything. We want to view, view it from a scriptural standpoint. From a scriptural standpoint, how should we view Christmas? We stop here just briefly to say thank you to everyone who's here uh, as has been mentioned, our numbers are decimated today with a lot of sickness. A lot of our children are sick. A lot of families are only partially here, uh, but we're glad that you're here, and we appreciate you very much, and thanks also, especially to those who are visiting with us. Let's talk about the history of this Christmas celebration, and we, this is pretty well documented. This is not even debatable Notice that the Catholic Encyclopedia, interesting that this comes from the Catholic Encyclopedia, it says Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. Arrhenius and Tertullian omit it from their list of feasts. Notice it wasn't there early on uh, in, in the early church. The Catholics acknowledge that. Another source says the earliest mention of the observance of this day is in Rome in the year 336, It was only adopted at Alexandria about 430. And it was still unknown at Jerusalem when St. Jerome wrote early in the 5th century. Now, the earliest of these dates is 336. If we believe the church was established around 30 A.D., that's 300 years too late, isn't it? It wasn't there in the early church. The early church was not observing Christmas Another source says in the year 354, a specific date was set by the authority of the Bishop of Rome. And and then here is some perhaps basis for why the day was chosen. It says "The, the same instance which sets Natalis Invicti, a celebration of the birthday of the sun, at the winter solstice, The time when the days begin getting longer will have sufficed to set the Christian feast there too. The wish to place a Christian feast in opposition to the feast of the sun at the winter solstice may have had weight. Now, think about that for a minute, and I think we can understand what this source is saying. Pagan people worship the sun, right? So, in the northern hemisphere, the sun keeps going away from us, and it's really getting cold and and we want to we want to offer worship to the sun so that it will come back to us and so the winter solstice what's the winter solstice usually december twenty second right right around that time and so we have a feast to the sun and what do you know? the sun starts coming back to us just like we wanted and so we worship the sun in the at the winter solstice with the idea we, we need we need to be inviting the sun to come back to us here in the northern hemisphere. Now, that's what the pagans did, and the Catholics were bringing in large numbers of pagans into their fold. These pagans had brought with them their their pagan tendencies, and they were very much committed to this midwinter festival, the worship of the sun, and so the Catholics said, okay, we're going to set an observance at about that same time to distract them from this other, this other practice that they've been so long engaged in, we're going to set us an observance in the midwinter around the winter solstice. And authorities are saying that that is, notice, uh, it had some weight. Uh, That seems to have been at least a part of the motivation for choosing that time for the observance. So, Uh, We would say, just based upon these, these are all secular sources, right? We haven't referenced the scripture yet. But these secular sources are unanimous in their agreement, historically, that it was a day, an observance of human origin. It did not come from God. It was not celebrated in the early church. And there is even a hint, perhaps a relatively strong hint, that the observance of Christ, Christmas initially had some roots in paganism. All right. Now, here's the follow up question then. Was Jesus born at that time? C- couldn't we say with confidence that Jesus was born on December 25th? You know the answer to that, right? Here's, here's our argument. It's a very sound argument, it can't really be debated. Luke 2, beginning verse 7 She, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. That's a beautiful passage. And we should rejoice in the fact that God sent his son and that he was born to Mary and that all prophecies, including that it would happen in Bethlehem, the city of David, were fulfilled uh, in this miraculous birth, the virgin birth of Jesus to Mary. The reason, though, we reference this passage, notice there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, get that, because that's going to tell us something about the time of year when this happened. Note, uh, wait a minute, uh, I skipped. Wait a minute, I got to go. Here, here's the one I want. Here's, here's a quote from commentator Albert Barnes. You've probably heard of him. He says, The climate was mild... And to keep their flocks from straying, they spent the night with them. Now, again, if you you go back, come on, if you go back, keep, keep emphasizing, they were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They were out in the field at night watching their flocks. All right. So the climate was mild and to keep their flocks from straying, they spent the night with them. The Jews sent out their flocks into the mountains and desert regions during the summer months and took them up in the latter part of October or the 1st of November when the cold weather commenced. It is probable from this that our Savior was born before 25th of December. At that time, it is cold, especially in the high and mountainous regions about Bethlehem. And so the scripture actually gives us a hint. That it was in a warmer time of year, not in the middle of winter, not at the winter solstice, not at December 25th, that Jesus was born. I think that's pretty telling. Obviously, the Scriptures don't give us a day when Jesus was born. The Scriptures specify other dates. For instance, if we go to the Old Testament, we find very plainly stated when certain feasts of the Jews were to be celebrated, the dates. The annual dates are specified with clarity. There's no specification of when Jesus was born. And again, uh, all authorities conclude that it almost certainly was not December the 25th. So what conclusions can we draw from all of that? Well, uh, again, we do not know the date of Jesus' birth. It almost certainly wasn't December the 25th. We know that the celebration absolutely did not begin until not just a few years, but actually several hundred years after the church began. By the way, that would have been long after the death of all the inspired apostles and prophets, right? And so whoever just said, we're going to do it, when here's the day we're going to do it, wasn't an inspired person because all those people had long since died. The revelation of God was finished and complete. Uh, The the celebration of Christmas didn't begin until several hundred years after the church began. The religious aspects of this observance are the product of Catholic and potentially somewhat pagan practices. And and we just have to make sure that we understand that that is so. Uh, That being the case, what about a religious observance of Christmas? Well, if we were supposed to do it, the scriptures would have told us to do it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If observance of a birthday for Jesus, a birthday celebration of Jesus, if that was something that we are supposed to be doing, if it's a good work that God wanted us to practice, he would have told us so. He would have instructed us to observe it. He would have told us when to observe it. He, would have given it. he would have given specifics about the observance. And none of that is found in the scriptures. The scriptures give us everything we need to be completely furnished unto every good work. And it's not in there, right? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 17, a verse you know so very well. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is the verse we use to stress the necessity of Bible authority. We must have Bible authority for what we do. And we, we don't have Bible authority for a religious observance of Christmas. We cannot say we are having this Christmas observance in accordance with and then give a book, chapter, and verse. You can't do that, right? It's just impossible to do that. There is no authority. All right, so there's there's some of the basic information that we need. And I, I think we all should be somewhat familiar with that line of argumentation because, as I said, the world is given over to the observance of Christmas. At least here where we live, uh, all around us, we see observance of Christmas. In particular, though, we're stressing, we see the religious observance of Christmas. Even at denominational church buildings, you see them... Decorated, and you see uh, on their signboards, you'll see announcements about special services that they are having uh, uh, around the Christmas time, and all of that is without authority. and And we should and we should be ready uh, to explain to people that that is the case. The scriptures simply don't tell us anything about the observance of Christmas. Now, with that in mind. I think we are going to hear a few objections, and we need to be ready to quickly answer these objections. So, some of our friends and we're talking about this, and they say, "Well, don't you think? Don't you don't you think we need to observe the birth of Jesus?" We would answer that, "No, we don't need to, because if we needed to, God would have told us how." In the reading that Jacob did earlier, in Second Peter one verse three. God has given us all things that pertain to life and Godness. All things that pertain unto life and godliness, And observance, a religious observance of the Christmas holiday is not in that. And so when someone says, don't you just feel like we should do something special about the birth of Jesus? Our answer has to be no, because God didn't tell us so. Well, you may get the question. I've gotten this before. Aren't you grateful for the birth of Jesus? Well, You're not gonna, you're not gonna observe Christmas? You mean you're not grateful that Jesus was born? Well, of course we're grateful that Jesus was born. And we're not just grateful on December 25th, by the way. We're grateful every day of the year that Jesus was born. Uh, We'd be lost and without hope if Jesus wasn't born. And so absolutely we are grateful all the time. And hopefully we express that in our prayers and in the, in the service that we provide to the Lord, uh, in our communications with one another. We're grateful that Jesus was born, absolutely. Someone asked the question, well, how do you think we should remember Jesus then? You're not going to celebrate Christmas. How do you think we ought to remember Jesus? Well, we know how, Right. Now that has been revealed to us. We remember Jesus in lots of ways, but specifically we remember Jesus every first day of the week when we observe the Lord's Supper as we were taught to do. Paul wrote about it, as you know well, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 23. And Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. This, this Lord's Supper, we do in remembrance of Jesus. There's no place where we read in the New Testament this Christmas observance do in remembrance of me. That's simply not there. And so, again, with that having been said, we simply note that the religious observance of Christmas is not authorized in the Word of God. Now, as a follow-up to that, here's a question that I think we have to deal with. My guess is there's unanimous agreement among us as to what we have previously been saying But it always raises the question, and I know a lot of people have deep issues of conscience about observing Christmas in any way whatsoever. And so uh, another question we want to ask and try to answer is, can Christians celebrate Christmas as a secular holiday, uh, uh, a a day like Labor Day or Fourth of July or New Year's Day? In other words, it's a holiday. We get off work. uh, We get to spend time with family and friends. There are other holidays of the year that we celebrate. Can we celebrate Christmas as such a time in a non-religious sort of way, as a secular holiday? That's what we mean by secular holiday. Secular means not religious. Can we observe Christmas as a secular holiday? Well, I'm going to answer the question. You You may not be satisfied with my answer. I'm going to answer the question both yes and no. Okay, I'm going to answer the the question both yes and no. Please stick with me here and see if I can can make this clear. Uh, A secular holiday, in other words, not religious. You know, a lot of people do that. I I dug up some statistics where approximately 50% of Americans make absolutely no religious connection to religion at all when it comes to Christmas. So about half of Americans, I don't know if it would be that same percentage here in in our community, but in in the United States in general, about half of Americans think nothing religious at all relative to the observance of Christmas. And I thought this statistic was interesting. Eighty-seven percent of atheists, agnostics, and people who identify as nothing religiously they still observe Christmas too. So almost nine out of every ten in that group, atheists, agnostics, and those who have no particular religion, they observe Christmas too. They're obviously not observing it as a religious holiday. What we're saying is there's there's a significant number of people who observe Christmas in a non-religious way. Now, the question is, would it be appropriate or can we do so? Again, As I said, my answer is going to be both yes and no. And I'll try to explain what I mean. I want to go to... In in the yes column, I want to go to the example of the Apostle Paul. Because I think we see in him that he observed some things that had a basis in religion. But he wouldn't let people bind such religious observance. And I'm thinking especially about the practice of circumcision. Look with me in Acts chapter 15. I'm not going to put these scriptures up on the board, but we'll try to go through them pretty quickly. In Acts chapter 15, you remember there was a big, big controversy in the early church over the question of circumcision. Circumcision obviously had significant religious roots to the practice, right? I mean, we've just been studying on Sunday mornings about Abraham. The the practice of circumcision dated back to commands God gave to Abraham Uh, so long ago. Uh, it, it was continued under the law of Moses. There was, there was definitely a religious basis for the act and practice of circumcision. And, it, and when the church began, that was an immediate crisis matter. Uh, Acts 15 verse 1, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And therefore, Paul, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, you know, the rest of that chapter goes on to describe when they they went to Jerusalem, they hashed this out. They didn't make a decision. The truth was already known. Paul knew the truth before he ever went up there. But the fact of the matter is they had to put a stop to these people coming out of Jerusalem and teaching that you must be circumcised. If you go over to Galatians chapter 2, Paul gives a little more information about this. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain.'" Notice, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You see that? Paul said when, when there were some of these Jews tried to force us in this matter and tried to demand that Titus be circumcised. He said, I wouldn't listen to that. I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give him a minute to stress. Uh, we, we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour. We just wouldn't put up with those who were trying to bind the religious practice of circumcision. You see that? So Paul's practice in regards to circumcision, I'm not going to let people bind on that. I'm not gonna, we're not going to have people insisting on a religious observance of the act of circumcision. But, but, in acts chapter 16 go but now back to acts chapter 16 when paul came to derby and lystra behold a certain disciple was there named timotheus the son of a certain woman which was a jewess and believed but his father was a greek which was well reported by the brethren uh, well reported of by the brethren that were at lystra and iconium iconium him would paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Wait a minute, Paul here practices circumcision in the matter of Timothy. Right? Was he was he doing it as a religious necessity? Was he binding a religious practice? No, he was clearly doing it here just simply as a judgment matter, and a matter of expediency. Because Timothy was going to be with him in his travels, it'd be expedient for this not to be an issue. And he had Timothy circumcised. There was no bound religious priority there whatsoever. And so I think Paul's example with circumcision is, although it had strong roots, a religious beginning, and he 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 could practice it, and he did with Timothy, but he wouldn't let somebody bind that or obligate that, as in the case of Titus. Do you see that? What about today? What about us? What about the matter of circumcision? My guess is that the vast majority of Christians have their male children circumcised. Is it are we binding a religious practice when we do that? Absolutely not. Right? It has nothing at all to do with religion. We practice circumcision and we don't think a thing about religion when we do so, right? It had its origins in religious observance, but we're able to separate that in our minds. Clearly today We, when we have our male children circumcised, we're not thinking a religious thought in the world, right? So that might be a help in our thinking. Let me give you another example from Paul, and that would have to do with the eating of meats. The, when we read in, in, the, in Paul's writings in particular about the eating of meat. He was speaking about not meat in general, but he had he had in mind the eating of meats that had been sacrificed to idols. And so in a lot of pagan cities, we're going to read here from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you might turn there. Corinth was a very pagan city. There were idol temples all over the place. And so these idol worshippers would bring their sacrifices and they would and they would burn these idols animal sacrifices, and when they got done with Here, it, here's some good meat to eat. And so they would actually take the meat from those religious ceremonies. They were religious ceremony, pagan religious ceremony. They would take the meat from those ceremonies, and they would take them to the common marketplace and sell them, and people would buy them. Well, this became a huge issue uh, in the early church, because is it right to eat that meat that's been sacrificed to idols or not? Some people had some deep matters of conscience about it. Well, uh, Paul wrote about that several times. I'm just going to reference one of these here in First Corinthians 10, uh, beginning at verse 25. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols... Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? In other words, Paul said, About this eating of meats. It's no big deal. You can you can eat it, don't worry about it. If someone tries to make an issue of it, if someone tries to make it religiously significant by saying this meat has been offered to idols. And he says, don't, don't eat of it. For conscience sake. Not your conscience, but that guy's conscience. Because you, you don't want to be giving him an impression that you would be engaged in a religious practice relative to the idol. And so I think that there's probably some basis for consideration there from the Apostle Paul in regards to the eating of meats. That clearly had a basis in pagan religion. Paul said, you can eat the meat, it's not anything, but don't eat it if the person who's trying to feed it to you is trying to make a religious point by doing so. Don't, don't engage in it as a religious act, but if you, can, if, you can, if you can eat the meat without any significant attachment to the religion from which it or originated, go ahead, he said. So I think maybe we can get some guidelines from those two examples in the case of the Apostle Paul. So my first answer is, I think, yes, you can engage in a secular observance of this day if you can separate it from any religious significance. Now, my other answer is going to be no. But don't do this. Don't do it. Don't do it at all. Don't have anything to do with it in certain aspects. First of all, I would say you've got to honor your conscience, and if, if you've got a, a matter of conscience, and I know good brethren do, if you have if you have some conscience issue rel- relative to the observance of Christmas, then don't do it. Don't, vi- don't violate your conscience no matter what, right? Um, I knew a number of years ago, the first place I ever preached, there was a, a brother, a really good man. He was a dear friend. He had come out of denominationalism. And in the denomination that he was reared in, they made a tremendous big Christmas celebration at that denominational church. And I mean, that was just drilled into him as a young man. And he just said he simply could not separate anything to do with Christmas from what he remembered as a boy growing up in that denominational church. He just, he could not make that distinction. And it just, it would, it just really, you know, Uh, affected his conscience. And so my answer to him and his practice way before he knew me was not to have anything to do with Christmas. And I, I think that's the right approach. If you have any qualm of conscience about it whatsoever, you have to honor your conscience. Obviously, if you're going to have anything to do with Christmas, you need to avoid all religious aspects of the day. Remember, I think we're saying... At least in my mind, I think I can justify a secular observance of the day. But if it's secular, then that means avoid all religious aspects of the day. I'll tell you how thoroughly I would uh, practice it. I mean, I'd be be extra careful about this. So you're going to send Christmas cards? And you see that nativity scene on the Christmas card. and and Of course, they get it all messed up, right? They've got the star over the, the, the stable and manger, you know. We, we know the wise men followed the star much later. They weren't there when Mary had the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. It was the shepherds who were there. The wise men came later. But you see that nativity scene, you're going to see the star, right? And you're going to see the wise men. I don't even send a Christmas card that has any, any connection like that with it, Right? Uh, Now, I got to tell you, when we get Christmas cards and sometimes we as even when we get Christmas cards from Christians who ought to know better, they are making that connection. They're sending Christmas cards that has something to do with the birth of Jesus. I wouldn't even do that. If you're going to observe Christmas, it's got to be a secular observance. And you got to avoid all religious aspects of the day because there's no authority for a religious observance of the day. Right. So be careful to do that. A couple other admonitions. Don't allow holiday activities to take priority over God. This is going to be one of those years, by the way. Christmas is on Wednesday. Christmas Day this year is on Wednesday. What do we normally do on Wednesday? Normally we're here for Bible study on Wednesday night, right? What are we going to do this December 25th, Wednesday night? we are going to be here for Bible study. Now, you're going to hear about places canceling. I think this is such an oxymoronic sort of thing that you're going to read about, you're going to hear in the news, and even among some churches of Christ, you're going to find them canceling services for Christmas. Wait a minute, if it's religious, we ought to have special services on Christmas, shouldn't and they're going to cancel the services on Christmas. That just seems so backward to me. But Let's not be that. Let's, let's, uh, we're going to be here on Wednesday night, December 25th. Be here. Don't let the observance of the day keep you from the priorities that you should have for serving God. Be careful about that. Obviously, don't engage in the sinful activities associated with Christmas. We always hear about the classic office Christmas party, and it, it becomes a drunken, you know, uh, awful thing. Obviously, we're going to be careful not to have any part to do with that. I think we want to certainly avoid the materialism that's associated with the, the day. Uh, I was doing a little, little searching about how much is spent for Christmas. And the numbers are pretty staggering when you think about what the average family spends for Christmas. But I, was break, I, had, I saw one place that broke it down for how much parents will spend per child. For Christmas gifts, and it's and most estimates now have it somewhere over four hundred dollars per child uh, in Christmas gifts. That's an average. That means some people are doing a whole lot more than that. Obviously, some are not able to do that, and so the number is held down by some who won't spend as much. But the average is over four hundred dollars. We can get pretty greedy about that, uh, and and we can look at it very materialistically. Uh, and I think we should be careful. Uh, So, that's just some thoughts about Christmas. Uh, I I mean, the, the, the background information about the observance of the day is not disputable. It's just absolutely clear. This is not a day that originated with God. It's not found in the Bible. Any religious observance of the day is completely unauthorized. I think for us, the bigger question is, can I observe it in a non-religious way. And you're going to have to answer that for yourself, and you're going to have to, to, have to be true to your conscience in that matter. Uh, and I know, good brethren, on both sides of that question, and so you'll you'll have to decide that. I hope I've given a little basis for some thought along those lines. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you need help in making your life right with God, either by seeking the prayers of the saints, if you're already a Christian, Or if you desire to obey the gospel plan of salvation, if we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.